It's the season of giving, so give yourself a little extra Christmas cheer. Go on, you deserve it. Don't just buy a copy of my new book for all the Christmas lovers in your life. Buy one for yourself as well. Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions is available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Find it wherever books are sold. In 1847, Edmund Sears was a Unitarian minister in Lancaster, Massachusetts. But a period of illness and depression brought his career to a halt. In his condition, he couldn't preach in a voice loud enough for his large congregation to hear, and he couldn't keep up with the workload that comes along with ministering to a large congregation. So he moved 20 miles east to the town of Wayland to take a year to recover. When his health improved, he began to minister part-time in Wayland and spent much of the remainder of his time writing. And there was plenty to write about. The middle of the 19th century was a period of tremendous unrest in America. The Mexican-American War was waged from 1846 to 48, and decades' worth of political controversy were heating up and pushing the country toward civil war. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men must have seemed like a distant dream to many. And to those who had committed their lives to spreading a message of peace and goodwill, things must have felt especially dire. What else could they do except continue to deliver their message and find new people to deliver it to and new ways to deliver it? Sears was a prize-winning poet from his college days. As a student, he had written a Christmas carol titled Calm on the Listening Ear of Night that was printed in many American hymnals. But it was in 1848, during this period of personal struggle and against a backdrop of a country in turmoil, that he set pen to paper to write the lyrics for a new carol a carol remarkable for its stark difference from most others, one that portrayed the world as dark and full of sin and strife and not hearing the Christmas message, one that didn't center on the nativity story, as almost all Christmas carols did, or even mention the Christ child at all. A humanist carol, focusing mostly on longing for better times, and one that came at just the right time in music history, which allowed it to enter the ranks of classic Christmas music still popular more than 170 years later. The carol we know as It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. Sears' carol is certainly interesting for all of the ways that it differs from most other Christmas carols. The lyrics just sound so world-weary and especially relevant to the current day struggles of the time it was written in. Take this verse, for example. But with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled two thousand years of wrong. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. A lot of people don't connect it directly to a nativity story. That's Lisa Nicole Young. She's a music fellow at Old Sturbridge Village in Massachusetts. It's a living history museum that recreates life in rural New England in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. And it's true that it is a Christmas song that doesn't reference the birth of Christ directly, but it references that earlier point in the story while the shepherds are receiving the news of Christ's arrival and the peace on earth and goodwill towards men. So it's an interesting perspective on the nativity story, focusing on the experience of the everyday working man when they heard the good news. 
But there's something else that's interesting about this song. The origin story of Midnight Clear is really unique because of where it is placed in history. I find it most interesting because it represents the music of that early Romantic era, the music heading into what in religious music is called the Third Great Awakening. The Great Awakenings refer to a number of periods of increased religious enthusiasm in American Christian history. Historians recognize three and possibly four such Great Awakenings in America, with the third one, the one we're talking about here, spanning the middle of the 19th century and into the early 20th. The Third Great Awakening overlaps with when The Midnight Clear was written because it started in the 1850s to 1890s period, and it really reshaped how a lot of our hymns are written. It helped to reshape how hymns are written because it inspired a huge influx of new hymns to be written. And that influx coincided with a time when music itself was entering a new era. Previously in hymn writing, lyrics and tunes were often totally separate things meant to be mixed and matched. A lot of hymns through the 17 and 1800s would simply say can be sung to any tune in common meter, can be sung to any tune in triple meter. Or if you had a choir master leading services, they might announce what tune they were about to sing the hymn to. So there was a lot of mix and match of lyrics and tunes that happened. And that means the tunes weren't written with any set of lyrics in mind, and vice versa. But around this time, that was starting to change. Once you start to hit that 1850s period, religious music took a pretty significant change, and hymns were being written with melodies and accompaniments that specifically supported the lyrics, that supported the emotions of the song. Romantic music refers to the era that it was written in. Just after the classical era of the mid-18th and early 19th centuries, we enter the Romantic era, which would last for the remainder of the 19th century. And it's referring to the shape and the structure of the music. So in the Romantic era, you're moving out of the very formulaic, structured classical music. So composers like Mozart, early Beethoven work, where there's a very distinct chord progression into Romantic era music, where it's not the form that focused on. In the Romantic era, they really focus on where the music is moving. What story is it telling? Sears originally wrote Midnight Clear as a poem, which was published in the Christian Register in 1849. Some accounts say that it was first performed as a carol on Christmas Eve of 1849, and if that's true, we don't know what tune it was sung to because the tune that was written for it didn't come until the following year. Sears requested a tune to be written to his lyrics by the composer Richard Willis. And he was actually an associate of Felix Mendelssohn, who was a very influential composer in the Romantic era. So a lot of the changes that are happening in music are happening right in Willis's world, in his social circle. So you see a lot of the newest of romantic music being reflected. And I think the melancholy mood of the music actually emphasizes that feeling within the lyrics. And even though Midnight Clear has a tune written specifically for it, there is still some of that mixing and matching going on, depending on where you're singing the song. In the U.S., we sing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear to a tune called Carol in England, they sing it traditionally to a tune called Noel. And just to give you a taste of the difference between the tunes, here's a comparison.
and even though Willis's tune was originally written for Midnight Clear, it probably ended up being used in other hymns, which actually helped to spread Midnight Clear and embed it into Christmas culture. Because that's how new tunes were learned and integrated, you'd set them to a variety of different lyrics. And another thing that helped the song to gain in popularity was that it arrived during a time of increasing demand for music publishing. In New England at the time, there was a huge push for new music. We went through previous centuries where we were quite detached from musical development, but by the 19th century, new songs are being printed and published by music shops in Boston, in New York, in Philadelphia. Something like this, where the poem was published in Boston, that's a big enough area that it likely caught on fairly quickly. And while these days it's easy to imagine things catching on via marketing or the media or the internet, or in the case of music specifically, the radio, of course, it was a very different world back in the 1850s. So how would a song like Midnight Clear have caught on back then? There was a lot of places that you could purchase sheet music. You have people like Oliver Ditson in Boston who have a music shop specifically publishing new works. You might also, in the earlier 19th century, learn these songs through a singing school. If you are able to get some instruction, that was a very common activity, particularly in the wintertime for New Englanders. If you were able to go to academy in Boston, which was similar to a high school level education, music was part of the curriculum. You'd be in a bigger city, so you'd be having access to that newer music. Um, you might also learn it through traveling musicians. Traveling musicians might perform, bring sheet music with them. It seemed fairly common if there was a concert or a large musical event um, that there would be sheet music for sale there. I have very distinct memories of singing Midnight Clear during Christmas celebrations at my grandmother's church in Massachusetts. I can still hear the upright piano and all of the voices singing in unison. Well, speaking of clear midnight, we can only assume that a clear night makes it that much easier to track Santa Claus across the night sky. NORAD has been doing that every year for decades, and following along has become a treasured tradition for many people's families, like Ashley's in Ontario. We had a family computer, and I guess my dad found out that you can track Santa through going to norad.com. And when we used to hunker down for Christmas Eve together after we'd have dinner, it would be like a topic of our, of our evening was where was Santa that, that minute and tracking his every move. And it just kind of made the evening that much more magical. We used to sit in front of our fireplace and tidy the room up, get it ready for Santa to come. And I think even to this day, I still look to NORAD every Christmas Eve just to make the, the evening just that much more magical for all the kids and for all the adults too. Christmas Past did an entire episode about NORAD tracking Santa. Take a stroll through the back catalog and check it out. And when you're done doing that, think about what Christmas memories you want to share with the rest of the Christmas Past family. There's still time to include one this season. Just record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it to christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. I'll be back again in a few days with an all-new story from Christmas Past. Until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thank you to Lisa Nicole Young, Ashley in Ontario, and thank you to Carrie for providing piano samples of the differences between the two tunes used for Midnight Clear. And as always, thank you for listening. 
Drop me a line anytime at christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com with a Christmas memory or just to say hi. And stay connected all throughout the season on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And hey, if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.